0: This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX's The Bear. All episodes now streaming, only on Hulu. (laughs)
0: Hello and welcome to One For The Road with me, Zobie Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and, of course, leave a review. My guest today on this week's One for the Road is the brilliant Andy Ramage. He's not only one of the world's greatest coaches, he's also published two best-selling books and he also trains coaches and has a free workshop available on his website. Details are in the show notes. Don't forget to listen to the short ads at the beginning of each episode as this really helps me to keep producing the content on a weekly basis. Also, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and hit the follow button. Good morning, Andy. Welcome to my show, One for the Road. Uh, I don't know if I'm in my Croydon um, voice today or my Knightsbridge, so I could call you Andy Ramage or <laughs> Andy Ramage. What oh, do you mean? <laughs> it's yeah. like
1: Miss, Mrs. Bouquet or Mrs. Bucket.
0: That's it. anti remage have you been, mate? We haven't caught up for a little while, have we?
1: No, I'm excited for this. Is this the first time we've ever done this? Because we've done it before
0: and we didn't quite make it happen. Is this? No, um, we did a Christmas special. We did, uh, we did. That's which I was, was a, a kind of a short one, um, like a half an hour. But um, why I thought I'd get you on today is to use our joint experience. Um, firstly, to cover your story in brief so rather than this being a whole episode on your life story i thought we could touch on that but also um what i talk about quite a lot is the emotional sobriety that comes in a few months after you've actually learned to give up drinking and you feel comfortable with things like socializing and being indoors and whatnot and then all of a sudden it hits you in the face like a wet fish it's like who the hell am i so i thought we could format it like that today um Sounds which is fab. exciting um so talking about um your journey do you want to tell the listeners um about your story yes yeah, it's, it's i guess mine
1: comes at it from a slightly different angle this was nine and a bit years ago but actually the truth is there was probably a two-year run up to that so probably looking at 11 years ago uh mid-30s i'd reached a certain level of success in my career as a broker in the city the guys in the bright jackets that scream and shout at one another and had one of those really slow epiphanies. as how I would describe it. That slow grinding epiphany of, Oh, is this it? I've worked my socks off to get to this place of, I guess, material success. And I still feel a bit meh, a bit five out of 10. And it sort of didn't, didn't make any sense because it felt like throughout my, my whole life, I was told that, that myth of conventional wisdom that you earn a certain amount of money and then you're blissfully happy, right? That's all you got to do. And then here I was in that place, for the first time in my life, feeling really rather unhappy. For want of a better word, I was overweight, unfit, unhealthy, unmotivated. Relationships were a bit strained, and I looked around the room at those people more successful than me for sort of clues to their success. And I found more of the same: broken bodies, broken minds, broken homes. It's like I just don't aspire to this. beside so that moment of I don't know if I want to continue on this journey. I want to do something different. So I quit my job, went around the world, trained with lots of sort of so-called well-being gurus. None of them mentioned alcohol, by the way. And I came back to do things a little bit differently in my career and quite quickly discovered that actually all of my best intentions, like I was going to eat salad and stuff and meditate and all those good things I'd learned about through these wellness gurus, went out the window as soon as I had a couple of drinks. I was inconsistent in my nutrition, inconsistent in my movement, inconsistent in the way I've shown up in my relationships, in the office. It was always down to this one thing. So I had this, I guess, revelatory moment where I thought, I wonder if I stop drinking, would I get my consistency back? And that is the gateway to all the good things that would follow. Because to set the scene, I've described myself as a middle lane drinker, someone that would drink averagely, heavily, sometimes not at all, sometimes moderately, which is, Probably about 70% of the adult population right now. There's no rock bottom in my story. There was no horrific addiction in my story. I was just bumbling along in the middle lane. Was I drinking too much? Absolutely. bloody But who wasn't around me or who isn't in that middle lane? I think we're all drinking a bit too much. And then in removing it and finding the courage to do so, my life was transformed. But it wasn't easy. I found it really difficult because I had social pressure everywhere. I was a broker in the city. It's what I did. It was my identity. We'll get into that a bit later. It's how I met my best friends. It's how I met my wife. It was just everywhere in my life. So the thought of taking that thing out and ripping it away scared the life out of me. Like, who who was it going to be underneath it? all? what was going to happen to four pints, fun time? Andy. Andy
0: yeah. Do you know what amazes me, though, is that um, you um, did all that traveling around the world, met all these mindset gurus, which I always have a problem with that that word. Um, and it's like, do you think it's because back then we didn't have the amount of support we got now, the amount of knowledge we got now and the amount of people that, you know, like this whole thing about grey area drinking, which you obviously was in that bracket. Was the support not there? You know, why did these so-called gurus not introduce that as part of the lifestyle change, do you think?
1: Oh, I was incredible. And I will update that story because bearing in mind that was 10 years ago, I was just recently connected with a, a friend who's a documentary maker and he's just been around the world to make a documentary on health and wellness. And in doing so, he's interviewed yet again all the so-called health and wellness gurus experts whatever you want to call them and he contacted me throughout that process and said i've just been around the world spoke to all these people oh and by the way whilst i was doing the filming i took a break from alcohol and got all these incredible results i stumbled upon your stuff on social media really like what you do and the way you frame it and i got back from all my filming i've looked through all the footage not one of them has mentioned alcohol yet again Mm. not one of them this is 10 years later yeah And and I think because the world that we're in, we feel that people are talking about it. But the truth is it's only still just starting to seep out into you know a a more broad conversation. So 10 years ago, no one got it, no one understood it. It was very much that black and white thinking, you've either got a full-blown addiction, or why wouldn't you drink? You know, there was no concept of that gradient or the gray area or the middle lane, it just didn't exist. So for me, trying to push that boulder up that hill against that, I was getting the unbelievable social pressure from clients and colleagues and friends who were like, what? I don't get that. I don't understand it. Why would you not want to drink? That makes no sense. To the point, one of my big heroes in my industry, in the broken world turned around and said to me, if you don't stop not drinking, your career is going to be finished because who the hell was going to want to go out with a broker that doesn't drink? So you can imagine that's some serious social pressure right there.
0: I I had a client come to me, actually, and that that was his um, career was um, by taking people for dinner in places like Langham's, you know, all, all the big places in London, to have a few drinks, to entertain them, to get the business. And he was told exactly the same thing, that if you give up drinking, you might as well give up the job because that's not part of the deal here. And that social pressure is awful, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, imagine, you know, my family, that puts everything in jeopardy, me wanting to make this change that that I felt might be really good for me. But I was scared that, you know, my career might end. And and just to finish that story off, when I stopped drinking in that real sales driven, exactly the same as you described with your friend there or or the person that you coached, everyone said it won't work, right? How can you entertain and and win business? The business that I grew, because I was still in the broken world, it grew seven times bigger in half the time because I'd stopped drinking. And why was that? Because I was consistent. I was showing up every single day as an eight or nine out of 10 instead of showing up like a hero one day. And then on a Thursday and Friday, I couldn't even pick up the phone because I was anxious and fearful and scared of my own shadow because I'd been out for too many drinks, entertaining, I'm doing inverted commons here, on a Wednesday with clients or a Thursday with clients. It was destroying the consistency of my business. So when I removed it, guess what clients loved having someone that was always on the ball that was always there was 100% reliable and who could still entertain them and i could still go out and do the social stuff if i needed to but i started to do different things i started to take them on surf trips and go to yoga who would have thought the clients would have loved yoga in the broken world and but but it almost became a usp because all the other brokers were taking them out and getting drunk boring done that a million times i was like do you want to go surfing or do you want to go to a Barry's Bootcamp? And they're like, yeah, actually, that's a bit different. So for me, it was, the, I've said this many times before, I think it's one of the best things you can do in a boozy client-led business is to go the other way because that's why you stand out.
0: Yeah, and it helps your um, journey as well in a way, doesn't it? Because, like, it, it, so you've incorporated that into your job and your own self-development and being It's got to help you because a lot of us, when we leave Our relationship with alcohol we're scared aren't we we we, you know for me i was in it 40 years right and all i knew is four and a half years ago now but really because i hadn't explored that side of things it was either i've got to stop drinking or carry on that's that was how low my education was at the time because i hadn't really i'd explored how i felt about me And how my drinking was impacting on me and everyone around me. But I hadn't actually looked at any resources or, or anything, read any Quitlet or anything, right? So when I stopped, I was kind of exhilarated by the thought of, um, how it was framed to me. Andy was like, um, join me for three months, right? So I started, I'm very visual. So I started looking forward at where would I be in three months in my life, my health, my well being, my relationships around me, my my whole life, where would I be, right? My weight, I was three stone overweight. You know, would I lose all these things, but I was also scared. So I always talk to people that ask coaching about structure. You've got to create a certain structure to fill the void somehow. So if you was doing that with your job as well, that must have been a big um help for you yeah
1: absolutely but also there was lots of fear in there for all those reasons because it was uncharted waters and no there was no resources there was no groups there was no sober dave or brilliant podcasts like there are now there was nothing so i was more or less making up to go along trying to figure it out but what did happen that snowballed effect of consistency and better mental health better physical health i lost the weight Business boomed against all the odds, my relationships were better than they 'd ever been, and it was like this is this is really powerful and I, and I clearly remember it was only about a month in actually about twenty eight days in that sense of waking up on a Saturday morning, sun was shining. It was just one of those lovely mornings. I slept like i hadn 't slept in years. I felt fitter, faster healthier. I had that real again epiphany moment of there 's something in this i 'm going to stick with this, even though i 'm scared even though i 'm fearful that I've got to leave this part of me behind. There's something so powerful in this. I'm going to follow it, which I did for 90 days, became a year. And then in that process for, I've got to share, I've got to share this with other people. This is just too powerful. Like why are more people not doing this? Why is this black and white thinking around alcohol? Why not just remove it for a while? And, and maybe you'll get some of these benefits that I've just described. That would be life-changing. And that inspired me to firstly start a movement called One e No Beer. Um, which I love again just to challenge people because I felt like I I needed a challenge which led to writing two books which led to starting the dry app and community appearing on the Rich World Podcast all that good stuff that I've loved and and really ever since then I've been so impassioned by it I've pretty much been showing up Daily on social media, just singing the joys. It's, I've always got one approach. I just talk about the wins. I talk about the joys. I talk about the benefits, and I think that's still a really refreshing story for people to hear because it's not the doom and gloom story of you're missing out and you're always going to be pining for it. It's actually the exciting story of why do you need it, right? That's the thing that's been getting in the way of your best self, your best life for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Remove that thing tactically fully or whatever you want to do with it and then experience life without it. But that's when, and this is, I think, where the podcast is going to go today. You need to fill that time and energy up with new and exciting things. Otherwise, it can feel like this this void of, oh, I've sort of well, it's a loss, behind. isn't it?
0: Do you know what I mean? And and mm. you know, like you're always really upbeat, and I love it absolutely. You know, your book's called "Um, Let's Do This," and you send it to me, and it's like immediately seeing the cover. It's like, yeah, I'm up for that. Do you know what I mean? But I suppose because I'm a bit older and I'm more of a miserable git, I'm i <laughs> I'm quite a realist with things, right? And there there's parts of the sober adventure, as we call it that are harder than others, right? And I talk about that quite a lot because it's not all I look great, I've lost weight, I'm eating plant-based food, and I'm climbing mountains like I am soon. Um, there are some really tough bits, and this is why I want to talk to you about a period in sobriety where you first start to give up. And when you go one, two, three days, you're like, I can't believe it. Cause for me, I was a different kind of drinker. I was daily for decades. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I, I would even play football, right? Five aside at 10 o'clock at night, going at half Think I got half an hour. It's weird. I would never go past midnight because it was approaching into the next day. So I think, right. I'm not a morning drinker. It was a weird, science thing that you know so i got a drink in half an hour until midnight and then i wouldn't drink past that but i could drink half bottle of vodka in half an hour just to get that that hit or something you know so for me to go two three four days and then oh my god it's two weeks and i quite often talk about building the house of cards the more layers you build up the more you don't want to kick them over the more you're mindful of the window being open so it doesn't blow them over through the breeze and that you know and then once i got to three months i thought bloody hell this is amazing i've got six months it's like i started going out and and uh i explored alcohol-free drinks I knew what to tell people when they quiz me and shame me. I knew how to deal with so many different things. But then all of a sudden there was this this like epiphany of what's next? what What comes now? Who am I? I don't know who I am. That kind of feeling, right? And this is where I talk a lot about the emotional sobriety because the first few months is the the actual practical giving up, the stopping the drinking, the not having a drink when you get the cravings, the triggers. Do you know what I mean? The association with drinking, right? And then all of a sudden you start the emotional, because you're feeling the feel throughout, aren't you? And you're learning and your brain's changing where you've got all that toxic crap out for you. And all of a sudden, you know, you're sharper, but then like buses, all these thoughts start coming in and it's like, oh, I've just wasted 40 years of my life and look how many relationships I've destroyed and who actually am I? Because I've played this role as like an actor. Um. Well, as I said to you before, like several roles that I would shapeshift whoever was in the room. And then all of a sudden I'm left with the 14-year-old me who started drinking and actually I didn't know what my identity was. And that is a big part of this, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and this is a great conversation to have because I think that can happen at any point and doesn't even have to be much further into sobriety. I think it can come in those early weeks where there's that sense of loss. It's actually like a part of you has, has died in many ways or you've had to let that go. And Joseph Campbell talked about this. He writes in his book, Hero of a Thousand Faces, about the hero's journey. This is that archetypical story of being human in many ways. And you can adapt it to that alcohol struggle. We go on to this, we're called to adventure in many ways. And we, you know, we take a, a break from alcohol and we step into this new land that we've never been before. And in there's going to be many of these battles that we must face from social pressure to loss of identity, all of those things. And eventually we have to slay the big, the big dragon. And part of us, if you think about all those archetypical stories from Harry Potter to Star Wars, it, they basically follow this pattern. Part of you has to die. You know, you think again about that sort of Star Wars approach or Harry Potter where they're on the verge of death and then they're almost like reborn. And I think that's really symbolic of 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 our relationship with alcohol. We have to let part of us actually die, which is, that's a really powerful word. It's a charged word deliberately because that persona, that person yeah. that we've been, that mask that we've been wearing all those years. And you just said that brilliantly. You almost got to go back and discover me as a 13 year old, you as a 14 year old. Who, who, who was that kid? Cause we lost that kid a little bit when we started drinking. You know, we, we, we put this mask on. We became someone that inherently we wasn't. So who's the real you? That That is that is unbelievably scary. Like I said, that's why we have these big child's words. That is like the big battle. That's like the big dragon that you must slay. And in that battle, mm. you might find that you are on the verge of letting a part of you die to be reborn again as like you, your authentic self. But I tell you what, that friction point is huge for a lot of people. And I think that's the reason that a lot of people don't see this through to, to find out who they really are, because they're so scared of that change point in their life of being, like, reborn as them, they want to stay and hide where it's been safe as this fake persona.
0: Yeah, that that's why I relate it to um someone who's been in prison for a long time, right, and they're institutionalized into that system, which we are, into yeah. alcohol, right? From an early age when we weren't even um a grown-up, right, uh, institutionalized, and we come out, right, and we experience the world on the outside as this new person that's removed that situation, right? And that's why some people reoffend to go back in to that institution that they're so used to and they feel safe in because it's scary. And other people go, do you know what? I'm going to explore this further and see what comes along. But what I find as well is that because most of us who have a problem with alcohol, we're chronic overthinkers. We're all or nothing people, right? So we go, hey, this is great, right? I'm going to explore my inner child. <laughs> and, and, and they go healthful level with it. And and before you know it, a month into this emotional sobriety, they got themselves in a right state over it. And, you know, there are various different things. You know, I've got an amazing therapist that I can signpost people towards that is a hell of a lot more qualified than me to talk about that. You know, there's um, breathwork, like Josh breath breathwork, the inner child thing that... He he, he re- emotional release in that. But I also say to people like, "Look, this is not a race. This is a long-term goal we're looking at, you know. And we never reach the end, do we? Because even you, after ten years, you're still learning things and having your own emotions, aren't you?
1: Exactly. But I think we become much more aware of what they are, and and you're tuned into them. And mm. you've touched on something there that's really important. Back to that hero's journey analogy. This is the harder path that we're choosing. That's the truth of it. I'm not going to dress it up. It's the harder path, becoming really aware of who you are and removing alcohol from your life, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's tactically fully or, or mostly, you become acutely aware of who you are. You become aware of your emotions. You become aware of you know, what food does to you and how you feel, or if you don't move your body, we've got all of this awareness that used to be just like blurred out in this malaise of, yeah. you know, hangovers and withdrawal or whatever that looked like for you. So I do believe it's the harder path that we've chosen, but it's the rewarding path. You know, it's the rewarding past that gives us this opportunity to find out who we really are, to, to fulfill well, our potential, whatever that looks like for you as an individual. And that's not all going to be sunshine and roses, as you said right at the start, because life's not sunshine and roses. It's oh. shit at times. Life sucks, you know, the bumper sticker sticker says it so well. But I think it's learning those skills of resilience to be able to bounce back from that quicker. And learning the tools and techniques that you need. And, and back to that hero's journey story. In the hero's journey, you often meet many wise guides. And along that journey, if you think about your Harry Potters and your, you know, your return of the Jedis and all that thing, there's those moments when they, you know, when the te- the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I think that's part of the adventure of being sober is listening to podcasts or reading books or doing the the breath work that actually start to build this resource, this library of tools and skills and techniques that make you more robust as a human, make you more resilient as a human. And then even though life will challenge you and it will throw in its curveballs, you come back stronger. There's something powerful about
0: that that I love. Uh, What I love about you, mate, is you always, always speak like this and it's incredibly motivational right and i first heard you say adventure and it and it was a whole different thing for me because i've got this thing about journey you know i don't know why (laughs) but anyway the whole adventure works for me right so i always say it's like if you and me went shopping you'd have different tastes to me you might go in the nike store i might go in another store and whatnot we we choose our own style right and it's the same with this journey or adventure of discovery I call it recovery or whatnot but I struggle with that whole recovery thing right because I'm someone that wants to move on from someone I want to learn from my mistakes of the past and I so when you say adventure it feels really really positive fresh inspirational motivational when I frame it for me of this journey of discovery rather than recovery um because discovery we're exploring our, ourselves you know we're exploring we look up and look around at the view rather than look down at the floor at our shoes all the time you know my life was very very dark clouded as you say you know and i was in york um a couple of weeks ago and it was almost like i came alive there you know like it, it's like you, you've done a TED talk called The Limitist Pill, right? And and the way you described that was brilliant, you know. And it's almost like I took a pill that day and it, and it heightened my awareness to all the culture, all the people, the, the environment, the weather. Everything was, like, heightened, you know. And this is what I say. That's after four and a half years I had that experience. You know, it's like a new yeah. level of sobriety for me. But the whole recovery thing what's your take on that
1: yeah very similar to yours i this is my take on it i believe our relationship with alcohol is our greatest gift if we see it that way which in the face of it in the depths of it in the thick of it if someone's really in that place of rock bottomness would think that's insane right this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me but i actually don't believe that i think it's the thing for all of us that's broken us out of that middle lane Malaise, which so many people in like, look around you are stuck, unfulfilled, unmotivated, mildly unhappy, drinking too much, whether they're in the middle lane or not. And we're actually given the opportunity to break free from that and our relationship with alcohol has, has reached a point for whatever reason that we've had to pause and reflect we've had to take it out of our life or experiment taking it out of our life and in doing so expose our authentic self to the world yeah face life head on all its trials and tribulations and struggles learn a new skill set debunk conventional wisdom turn around and walk away from the mass of people that are all going one direction. The resilience that comes from that, the strength that comes from that, the power that comes from that is incredible. Like, I think it's our, it's our superpower it's the greatest uh, like all of life is just a self-fulfilling prophecy right you can put any frame around anything so i choose to put that frame around it it was a gift i feel so bloody lucky that i had a relationship with alcohol that caused me to pause and reflect and get out of that middle lane of malaise now that doesn't mean life's trials are going to disappear of course they're not but i tell you what i'm a million times more resilient i can handle anything right throw it at me I'll deal with it. But when alcohol was in my life, I didn't know whether I had the strength to do it or I needed to have a couple of drinks to face letting someone go from their job or giving a speech at a wedding or meeting people. I needed to turn to a drug to do that stuff. Was that me or was it the drug? Now there's no question. It's Hmm. me. I've got the courage. If I've got the courage to show up and meet a group of new people, even though I'm an introvert, and I find Mm. that really difficult, I walk away from that, and I keep the resilience, I keep the confidence. That's why I think alcohol-free adventurers just come back into the world so much more resilient. It's a gift. So for me, the whole recovery thing, it's not about that. It's about the gateway to your Mm. best self. It's the gateway to finding out who you bloody really are underneath it or getting comfortable with that, realizing that you are enough and showing up in the world and doing your thing, whatever that looks like. That's a gift, right? Or is that not a gift?
0: Oh, it's amazing, mate. Um, and and I also think that people listening to this that are stuck um, on this hamster wheel, they've got to know that. They're incredibly resilient because you think about the fact that we, throughout our experience of drinking, we still get up and go to work. We still manage parenting. We set, There's so many things we do. So it's in you, but it's about bringing it out, right? So it's about having the right mindset um but what you said there are we enough most people i talk to when i when i ask that question do you feel like you're enough they cry Hmm. because they're not asked that direct question because they multitask around their people pleasers, and they 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 they, they're functioning right and that means doing the school run with a hangover going to work with a hangover you know all these things that we do when we're drinking, we're, we're just about getting by, aren't we? And that's what I mean about the resilience. We still manage to do all these tasks in our life, feeling like absolute shit, right? So yeah. there's a bit of encouragement there. But when you remove that drug out and, and you um, start to believe in yourself, I think that's a big thing. You, you've got to go into this with a positive mindset of saying, you know, I can do this rather than I think I'm going to fail. You, you've got to have that mindset of believing in yourself. And for a lot of people, that's a struggle because for me, I thought I was a piece of shit. I really did. But it took the way it was framed to me to make me come at it from a different angle. And that worked for me. And But the the crux of it is, is that we actually start to look at what is our life worth. I always say to people, where do you want to be this time next year? Or, you know, I'm older than you. So I say to people, you know, mid 50s, late 50s, what do you want your 60th birthday to look like? What do you want your retirement to look like? Do you want it to be full of energy, self-respect, new friendship groups, hiking, you know? Or do you want to be further down this destruction trail of, oh, you're drinking more and, and your health is at rock bottom as well?
1: So true. And I think it is so courageous. I just want to honour everyone. That's why I call them heroes. And I, I cheer people on because I think you are a hero. It takes so much courage when... The mass, and I'm not talking just a few, probably almost everyone in your personal network, that's the truth, isn't it? Most people that come to this realisation that they want to stop drinking or take a break or whatever it is, looks around their personal network and probably everyone, almost without exception, in their personal network is doing that thing. So the courage that it takes, even at a human level, you think from an evolutionary standpoint, we are hardwired to follow the crowd, right? Mm. Safety in numbers, to have the courage to turn around and question that to do something different is so powerful. Joseph Campbell says this, the treasure you seek lies in the cave you most fear to tread. Mm. And I think that's there's a lot of truth in that for us. Probably most people are on the verge of this or in the early stages. This is the scariest thing they've ever done in their life. I know it certainly was for me, but that's where the the treasure is, which is golden. I don't know. Are you familiar with the story of the golden Buddha?
0: No, tell me.
1: I just tell this. It's a lovely story. I think for everyone listening, and again, this goes back to a point just made a minute ago about underneath it all. We are enough. So the story of the Golden body goes like this. Many, many moons ago, there was uh, up in the Himalayas, there was this beautiful uh, group that got together, this, this local culture, and they would pray at the foot of this Buddha every day, this lovely golden statue of the Buddha. They'd pray there every day that this was like the focal point of their community. And then one day they they heard in this little village that there was a marauding tribe attacking all the local villages So the villagers got together and said, look, they're going to steal our golden Buddha. This is everything to us. Let's cover it in mud and we make it look like an old concrete clay, decrepit statue. Then if the marauders turn up in our village, at least they won't take the golden Buddha, which is the focal point of our community. So they cover it in clay and they turn it into this old looking, decrepit, grey statue. And the marauders come along, they ransack the village and they overturn the village and they overtake the village. And then many years... Pass and everyone has forgotten about the Buddha. They've just got this old gray, decrepit statue that sits in the middle of this village, you know, many generations later. And that one day there's a, a young boy sitting at the foot of the old gray concrete Buddha, and a piece of the, the concrete effectively falls away. And he looks and he can see this shimmer of golden light, and he looks a little bit closer and he peels away a little bit more of the the clay and the the concrete to reveal the truth. The Buddha's golden. The Buddha's golden. And he runs back into the village and he tells all the villagers, the Buddha is golden. The Buddha is golden. And the villages, you know, congregate around the gray statue and they peel away all the concrete to reveal the truth. The Buddha was always golden. And I just think that's such a lovely metaphor for Mm. us as humans on our adventure. You spoke about it at 14. I spoke about it at 13. We start... Put in these psychological armory all over ourselves. Alcohol creates these personas that we again clad ourselves in concrete and clay, but it doesn't matter where you end up underneath, you're golden. You've just got to go and find that shimmering light of gold.
0: I absolutely love that, mate. That's a beautiful um, metaphor. Uh, and I, that really touched me, actually, apart from the bit where you said this old grey, decrepit Buddha. I started <laughs> thinking, was that me then? Cool day. <laughs> Do so you know what as well? Like for people listening to this as well, where is so ingrained in society? So we all know, like, if, if you came along to me and said, Do you know what? I've stopped the fags. I'll, I'll be like, Oh, amazing, mate. Or, or other people, right? Or I'm cutting out sugar or I'm stopping, um, my caffeine in, Oh, amazing, mate. Amazing. I'm stopping drinking. What? What's the matter with you, you boring old git? You know, that kind of thing. And that's still prevalent, isn't it? Because a lot of people come to me and they say the same story, that one of their biggest struggles is the social element, Um, how much it's ingrained in society. And what you said at the beginning about it made me think, actually, we're still not there, are we, with this whole no. conversation? Because we deal with it on a daily basis. We probably think we're a lot further forward than what we actually are and i drove into um sainsbury's yesterday right and before i even got in the car park there were banners down either side of the railings with um six bottles of wine 25 percent off stellar art to our 15 pound of case and i hadn't even got in the car park so that subliminal message is constant still and you go in there and there's big arches of booze and stuff it's scary isn't it
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, even though, again, because we're surrounded by it, we've moved so far, yet we've still only gone a fraction of the way. I I do genuinely believe in the next... Sort of five years, the the flywheel—if you can imagine—that you and I have been like pushing up mm, mm. desperately for the last however many years—is going to reach that tipping point, and then it's it's going to go. I think the information's getting out there much more broadly now. I think people are starting to figure it out, but we've got a long, long way to go. And you, you mentioned about social pressure; it's still there around all the time, isn't it? That boring tag, which used to trip mm. me up all the time—I I used to hate getting labelled as boring—but actually if you just pause for a second and reflect on what does boring mean to you as an individual, you're soon Mm. going to figure out that actually the alcohol drug is probably the most boring thing you can possibly do. Mm. You know, boring for me is not being asked to go out and do fun stuff. That would be Mm. me when I was drinking. Boring for me is repeating yourself. Boring for me is feeling tired and a bit Grumpy and just can't be bothered to do that. like oh, all of those boring for me sitting around on on the couch all day because you're feeling sorry for yourself or too anxious to go out and face the world. Like, if you contrast that with a a break from alcohol, boring for me is being really engaged in a conversation like this. Sorry, exciting for me is being really engaged in a conversation like this. Exciting for me is being able to go out and network and be your authentic self. Exciting for me is is waking up the next day and getting up and on it and loving life, catching the sunrise. Like, if you compare those two things together, and then if you run this extra experiment, and this is a bit of a harsh one, but it's true, if you... Don't drink or you you know take a break from alcohol and go and spend some time with people that are drinking on a night out you know when they're going to have that point of they're going to get to drunkenness and genuinely ask yourself are they having loads of fun are they much more exciting than they were before as their authentic self a hundred percent of the time it's no it's no it's always a no it's always a negative like you see your best friends you see your loved ones turn into someone that they're not Mm. do you think wow they're amazing they're having so much fun or do you feel really sad for them the only time you don't notice that is when you're drinking yourself yeah when you come out of it you see the truth of it and of course the people that are stuck in the trap they've got one they've got one thing in their armory to call you boring but the truth is you do that experiment and you'll know the truth it's the most boring thing you can do is to drink
0: in my opinion I 100% agree with that mate and and also like there's an easy answer to that and and it's like well you you think you getting drunk isn't boring because it is you know and also I always look at it like that's what I would have said and it makes it easier for me because I've been in that position where it's that that throwaway statement that everyone says and it's your tagline you know your strap line of oh, well, you're boring, then you don't drink. Actually, what it means is, oh my God, that's going to highlight to me how much I drink and you might judge me. And then that make me think about my drinking. You know, I don't know if I want to do that at the moment. So you're boring, now go away. You know, that kind of mentality, you know. So I always say to people, you know, you're going to get this. Be prepared, right, up front, that you're going to get this barrage of crap that means nothing to you. So... Try and absorb it and let it go because an hour's time, they're going to be talking gibberish. You can do the French exit, clear off, go home, watch something funny on the telly or have an early night with a cup of herbal tea and enjoy yourself. You know, Wake up in the morning fresh and ring them at nine and go, how are you, mate? That was a good night, wasn't it? And they go, why are you ringing me this time of day? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, what, what are you doing? And you are out there with the dog walking in the beautiful weather. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 incredible, really. Yeah, we
1: we become the stories that we tell. And I think that's culturally, we've been telling one story around alcohol for the last 50, 100 years, that it's fun and anyone that doesn't drink is boring. It's just fundamentally untrue on every level. And it takes that courageous individual groups or podcasts to actually tell a different story. And then you live a different story and you show people a different story. I think that's the most important, powerful thing you can do. Lots of people reach out to me and say, I've got a loved one. Just drinking a bit too much, what do I do? And my response is always the same. Well, have you tried stopping drinking yourself? Mm. You know, show them. You know, Gandhi said it, didn't he? Be the change you want to, to see in the world. Like, show them you looking great, mm. feeling great. Example, yeah. yeah That's the most powerful thing you can ever do to people. And I, and I love that That I know even in my own life now, it, it confuses people. They're like, oh, hold on. How is he having a good time? Why does he look at 48 a bit fitter, faster, and healthier than most other forty-eight-year-olds that I know that have been in that industry or had that type of background. Like, what's? It's the sort of head-scratching moment of what's going on there. But I know subtly and subconsciously that's the best advert ever for someone taking a break from alcohol, or changing their relationship with the booze, is to show them. You know, and I think that also to seal that off is a wonderful motivational tool because you might be around your friends who you love and your family who you love. The best thing you can do for them is show up and show them a different story. And that in itself can be a great motivator when you're getting a bit of that flack because here's another secret. And I know this for a fact, some of your mates, some of your friends, some of your colleagues are going to look back quite soon and go, you know, Dave, He had it right all along. He absolutely nailed that. He was so far ahead of the game. No wonder he's been having a bloody brilliant time for the last year, five years, 10 years while we're us suckers have been caught in the trap. All of them without exception are going to look back and go, you're a hero. You were leading the way. You were the cool kid that showed us something. It took us a while to figure it out. So I keep that in the back of my mind as well as a nice motivational mantra to keep me going
0: absolutely mate and and, you know the these uh podcasts that your reels daily motivational reels you know i've just appeared on that dapper podcast right and the amount of messages i got from young lads like young lads late 20s early 30s that follow him is the you know the the lad the joke the prankster always drinking and mucking about he's six months sober now right but the messages i've been getting is um Dave, mate, I'm really struggling with the booze. They always mention the booze because the drugs come after. I was never into that. I, I knew where I was with booze, even though on a litre of vodka, I knew exactly how I'd feel the next day. Right? It was a weird thing. And I used to check the bottle, and if I had an inch of vodka left in that litre, I'll go, actually, I'm going to be okay-ish today because I didn't do the litre. But yeah, if I was to incorporate drugs in god knows so i i might be an era thing as well you know but you know how do you find like yourself with the younger generation coming up do you think more and more people are more mindful more educated around booze absolutely
1: you know i've got young people in my own life i've got a 17 year old daughter and a 15 year old daughter so they're like in that space that that we were and already there's a huge difference i mean obviously you might say oh they've got a dad that that doesn't drink that's very vocal in the space so that might influence them but i also look at their broader group that, that they seem to be uh, and, and the research backs that up that actually our younger generation are there's much more abstentees, but those that are drinking are drinking more interestingly enough i've seen some research around that but a lot less people are drinking i think they're much more aware they're much more conscious and they've got options that we didn't have we didn't have Any other options growing up. The only way that you could feel grown up would be like your parents who are your big role models in many ways, or your uh, older siblings, or whatever the setup is, was to drink alcohol because that was all that's available. At least now they've got a different language in terms of alcohol free options. So I think the landscape's completely changing. I think that that generation, that sort of young, you know, early 20s generation are going to live a completely different life to the one that we did. But I think a lot of our work is still in that middle age bracket to old age bracket that are just caught in that cultural, you know, 80s and 90s. It's just what we did, right? And it was a mindless thing. None of us had the education to know any different. And I think that's why we've got, you know, a lot of work to do because that massive, like think how many hundreds of millions of people that is globally stuck in this trap and it's been chipping away at their ambition it's been chipping away at their fitness it's been chipping away at their health for the last 20 years so subtly most people in the middle lane don't even notice it and back to that point i made right at the start i think that's why our relationship with alcohol was a gift because it woke us up to the fact that alcohol was getting in the way of our life but i think too many middle lane drinkers it's so subtle they think that they're just a bit grumpy because that's life right they're middle aged. i almost said that epiphany i thought to myself oh The reason I feel a bit shit, a bit unfulfilled, a bit unhappy is because I'm middle-aged. That's not how you're supposed to feel. Middle-aged, old age. you're meant to feel, of course, life's ups and downs, but you're meant to feel good about who you are and healthy and vibrant and excited. And if those things are missing, that awareness gives you the opportunity. And and maybe we can segue into that because I think that's a really important part of the longer alcohol-free adventure is to develop yourself, start to fill that time and energy with something that feels really exciting and really vibrant. Build that compelling future that's so compelling. There's no room for alcohol anymore because I think 100%, mate.
0: And, and you know, like it can start really quickly. You know, I say to people that are in the first month, you know, you, you're going to remove that toxic stuff out of your body within a week. Right, hydrate. Eat the right foods, go out for a walk, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, you know, start looking at different options to fill your time with. Go to bed early, right? So the rewards can happen quite quickly. You know, it's not like, Oh my God, you've got to have six months in solitary confinement and you're going to be having seizures and shaking. You know, like most people I work with are gray area drinkers. Most people are. Women of a certain age, 35 to 50, you know, there's a bracket there. And they say, oh, my God, this middle lane, as you call it, this gray area drinking thing is a revelation to me because I used to Google, am I an alcoholic? You know, so this space in between the take it or leave it to the rock bottom drinkers is huge now. And the more we talk about the better it makes it feel for people because they think I fit in that criteria and I actually feel there's an option here to get myself out of it. It, It's such a big thing now.
1: Yeah. And that's really important for me in my messaging and, and you're doing it great as well because then everyone's got to listen, right? Because the old stories around alcohol were the classic rock bottom stories, Phoenix from the Flames, which are brilliant stories and important stories people can switch off. So back to my daughter, right? They had someone come into the school recently and talk to them all. But the description that he built around alcohol was that he had this huge problem, this massive rock bottom. And as my daughter said, everyone in the audience switched off because everyone in the audience went, well, that's not me. Why do I need to listen to this? Right. I'm I'm bloody 17 years old. Why am I listening to someone tell me about a rock bottom moment in their life? And then they came out the other side. She said the whole audience was lost. And for me, I was frustrated because I was like, that was a brilliant opportunity to tell a totally different story. One of moderate drinking, middle lane drinking, which they're all probably or many of them would already be experimenting with. So even those young children can hear their story and your story and then no one can wiggle out of it. And I think that's what's really important about this whole middle lane, because then people listen to this and go, Oh, hold on. That, oh, that's me. Cause I drink moderately, sometimes out sometimes heavily, sometimes not. Att- oh, actually, I'll better listen to what this podcast is all about or this, you know, Instagram's about or Facebook lives about or this book's about. I need to read this because, Oh, that's actually me. And that's the conversation that never happened before. It was too easy for people to wiggle out and go, Well, I'm not an addict. I don't have to listen to this. I remember really early on, I did a, a radio interview with uh, a guy called, um, I can't think of his name, over in uh, Ireland. It was their big uh, radio show. It comes to me in a second. And I'd spoke to him about this whole one, you know, beer thing at the time. It was dry adventure in many ways. And actually through that process, I had to constantly fight against him to say, I didn't have a problem. This is not an addiction thing. This is a middle lane thing. And I'd, I'd worked really hard throughout this short interview to get him on side, to explain that hopefully really well. And right at the end, he said, well, I'm not going to take a break from Alcohol because I don't have a problem. Click. Oh no, I think that sort of, I think that sort of sums it up, if you know what I mean, why yeah. it's really important for us to keep having this conversation because it broadens it so beautifully that like everyone's got to listen. And then when you're in that space, there's an opportunity to maybe change your mindset. I'll try it. You know, and, and I will just summarise that piece by saying, why not try it? Why not try it like a month? Like what have you got to lose? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't have to be a forever thing. You just try it. And if you feel a bit fa- bit fitter, faster, healthier, you know, you've saved some money, keep doing it, right? And then maybe two months, you lose some weight. Maybe three months, you're better at your job. Maybe four months, you know, your career takes off or whatever it is, or your relationships get better. Like why not just try it?
0: Yeah, sure. 100%. Like um, yesterday, right, um, I was getting lots of messages Saying they were hundred days, right? So it's obviously off the back of dry January. I did lives every night, as you know, Brilliant. right? And they're a hundred days. So they've explored the month and they've then decided to carry on and they've hit the landmark of a hundred days and they're all saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to carry on with this. And that's proof of what you've just said. If you give yourself a month, which I think's a, a good time to do and you can start to feel the benefits of it. Um, you know, even your mood when you wake up in the morning, we all have that little brief two, three seconds of what am I doing today? Right. What did I do yesterday? Like might have had a bit too much peach and then you feel, Oh God, that weren't great. But you wake up. Did I drink? No, I didn't. Oh, and that, that thought is like, Oh, I'm ready for my day straight yeah. away. Do you know what I mean? Like little tiny little things like that can improve your day from the second you wake up.
1: Yeah. And, and you'll never know until you try. You know, that's so important. And there's too many people right now who are calling people that don't drink boring, but have never had the courage to do it with the right mindset. And I think that's important to just touch on that. There is a mindset of, oh, I've got to give this thing up for a month mm, because mm. I've been a naughty boy. Or the, a I'm going to lose.
0: Yeah. but I'll mm. lose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to give it. I'm going to sit around and mope about. I'm going to cancel my, my social calendar. And then all you do is reaffirm and A lie, in my opinion, that actually your life is better with alcohol. That's totally untrue, in my opinion. Therefore, if you approach it with the mindset of all right, I'm going to have the energy and the time. I'm going to be up earlier. I'm going to feel fitter. Maybe I'll exercise a bit more. Maybe I'll still go out and socialise and try all these alcohol-free alternatives, and see if I can still have fun. Out the other side of that is a completely different experience. I think you're much more likely to continue or be tacti- tactical with it in the in the future. And I think there is that conversation to be had as well around that like for people you know it doesn't have to be a necessary all or nothing but definitely to give yourself gift yourself the opportunity to try it it's for me is what i'm all about get in there try it imagine if all yeah. the benefits that you and i have been speaking about are there for you wouldn't that be something that's got to be an experiment worth having
0: absolutely mate i know we could talk on forever but um i want to thank you so much andy your your voice is so powerful in this community for all the work you do Thanks for joining me today. I think it's been brilliant. And let's leave it on. Have you ever actually heard of anyone that's got sober say they regret it? No. No. And there's the answer. You know, as you said halfway through, life can be shit, whether you drink or not, right? But the benefits from are, are incredible. And I will say that. I know I said I was a miserable git earlier, but there's <laughs> nothing really that I would change about my sobriety because like literally I'm 59. This is my strap line, right? I'm negative i'm 60 next year well i'm yeah. 58 now i'm still looking at that right i can't believe it mate i mean i'm climbing a mountain soon in morocco right i'm doing a massive walk from the i'm doing a be sober camping event for three days soon all these things i wouldn't even dream of it, it would be oh that means i would have to like train get fit and cut down with i wouldn't do any of that right so at 58 years old i'm living the life i should have done a long time ago but what my thing is that you're never too late oh to stop you aren't but i gave up at 54 and if you see photographs of me when i was 54 i looked 10 years older because i was ill I, i you know i was on four different medications i was three stone overweight my mental health was at rock bottom everything was terrible for me do you know what i mean and now I see the sun. I'll give a little example
1: of that. A friend of mine's mum, who's a lovely lady, was in her late 70s and in truth, unbelievably unhealthy, you know, on various medication, drinking far too much. And in truth, her body was breaking down and mind was breaking down. She was on a one-way ticket, right? A year or two or three, you could see it. You know, and you can see it in someone on the right was on the wall. She stopped drinking so late 70s moving into her 80s now it is incredible she looks like a different woman her skin's come back again she's fresh again she's given you can see you know you can see i don't need the medical profession to tell me that she's probably just given herself another 10 years of vibrant life late 70s into her 80s has just changed the game completely one thing and one thing only stopped drinking alcohol yeah yeah. change everything you know it's never too late and for you and for me we're just warming up right i think i'm just bloody getting going i'm just getting yeah. started that's <laughs> again why this is such a gift
0: yeah and you know what that that's so encouraging for people to hear that you know a woman in her 70s you know like people it is a thing especially for men i find they go well i've been doing it all my life now well, i'll give up now attitude you know and it's uh, well is if that's how you want to live your life that's your choice but there is another way right and once you see it, like we see it, you can't unsee it, can you? And this is why I don't ever want to go back there because I, why would I? It's that thing of the prison analogy where I don't want to go back to Mr. Big in the prison, standing there. Um, I don't, I, I don't want it. Life is so much more fulfilling for me on every single level possible. I do not and will not go back to that shite. I can tell you. So I just want people to hear that and and see how powerfully you speak and all the work you're doing and the community. is like there is another choice in life. And by giving yourself a month or so to explore that is all it takes. Do it with a positive mindset. Embrace it. As you say, don't look at it as like, well, what am I losing? Look at it as what am I gaining? What could I potentially gain by the end of the month is – is the goal the golden buddha do you know what i mean and and yeah god i feel inspired myself mate this has been a brilliant (laughs) interview (laughs) i I always love talking to you mate so again thank you so much for for joining me and let's catch up soon mate and and we'll have a a nice cup of tea
1: we'll have a nice cup of tea thanks Dave. keep up the great work my man i'm loving loving the podcast
0: good lad see you soon mate see ya I really hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For further support, you can buy my book, One For The Road, on Amazon, and you can also follow me on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.